You're listening to sermons from South Point Fellowship, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpointfellowship.org. Does anybody in here ever struggle with your life's purpose? Quick show of hands. The rest of y'all are like, I uh, don't know where this is going. I don't like raising my hand in public. I'm full of lies. I sit on a throne of lies. But most of us, we struggle with life's purpose at one point or another, right? It's just kind of a, it's just kind of a given. And, and the thing is, most of us are quite reactive to what our lives are meant to accomplish. So something is set in front of us, and we think, oh, let me go pursue that. And we often fail to consider, what was I created for? Why was I created? And I would actually venture to say that for most of us, it's kind of a given that we're not going to discover that. Like for most of us, for those of you who didn't raise your hand, you're like, no, no, I don't, I don't ever consider why, what my life's purpose is. That's because you probably just resigned to the fact that I'll never know. And for those of y'all who were honest and raised your hand, you're like, yeah, I, w- I really would like to, but I'm not super hopeful that I'm ever going to know what my life's purpose is. In order for us to figure out what something is, the purpose of something, we have to go ask the designer and the creator of that thing. So this past week, my uh, six-year-old Kingston, uh, he, built, he built this, told me it was going to be a little, a little dicey. He said it may, I got to be careful with that top part. Kingston, do you want to come tell them what it's supposed to do? Come on. It's family worship. We're good. Everybody give Kingston a little round of applause. All right. All right. Tell them, tell them what happens here. This is the light, and you know lights are um, hot, and it makes lava. Yeah, and then what does it make at the bottom? Fire. Yeah, it makes fire at the bottom. Thank you. You did a good job. That's all. Here, you sit down. <laughs> <clears throat> I would venture to say, I'd probably put a week's paycheck, that if Kingston had not told you what this creation was, you wouldn't be able to figure out what this does. Most of us, right? With these magnetiles. We had to go to the creator of this little light turning lava into energy, water, and it kind of, you know, kind of morphed throughout the weeks. So I had to ask him again this morning, and it even changed shapes a little bit. But I had to keep asking him, okay, so what does that do now? I had to go to the creator and say, what is the purpose of this thing? Like, it's really interesting. Now, in, in reality, does this actually does it actually create lava from the light? No, not not actually. Um, but he's creative enough to know. Okay, I want this to to be a a picture of what would happen if you took light and made lava and it turned into water and it created energy and heat. We have to go ask the creator of that thing. If you were to ask any, if I were to pass this around the room and said, hey, what do you think this does? You'd be like, ah, let me, let, me take a, let me take a gander. And that's what we do with our lives. We look at our lives and we're like, ah, here, here's kind of what I do. And here's, I guess, what I'm supposed to do. And here's what the culture told me to do. And here's what my parents said that I was supposed to do. And this is what my wife expects me to do. And this is what I think makes me happy. And this is kind of what everybody else in our society says. Let's go towards that. But we never actually stop and ask the creator. We never say, God, what is the purpose of my life? Because you've created me uniquely. You've given me certain gifts and talents and opportunities. You've, you've given these things to me. Now, what do you want me to do for your honor and glory? 
And I think that's a real tragedy that we don't stop and consider that. And so what I want us to do this morning, I'll set this right here. Hopefully I don't kick it over. But I want us to consider our lives. And I want us to consider, man, if we were to ask the creator what the purpose of our lives is, of your life. So I realize I'm talking to a group of folks this morning. And I think that's really good. And we'll see why that's really important this morning for us to be a group of people. But for you as an individual who's created in the image of God, I want you to be asking yourself this morning, what would God say is the purpose of my life? Because for most of us, we're like, yeah, of course we would ask Kingston what the purpose of this is. That's just obvious. But I think it's also equally as obvious for us just to stop thinking about the purpose of our lives. We've just resigned that we don't know. So we'll be in Ephesians chapter two. Go there with me. If you would, Ephesians chapter two. Big picture, here's what I want us to see. If we see nothing else this morning, here's what I want us to see. Is that using your spiritual gifts is not optional. Using your spiritual gifts is not optional, but it's essential to fulfilling God's purpose for your life. So if you're a note taker, that's big picture. If you like to color uh, bubble letters and write those, fill those in, that's it. That's the thing that you want to write down in bubble letters and, and color those things in. Using your spiritual gifts is not optional, but it's essential to fulfilling God's purpose for your life. Ephesians chapter 2, this is Paul writing uh, to the church there in Ephesus. I want us to see several things. I'm, I'm going to walk through this passage quickly, and then I want us to really focus on the implications of this passage. And so we went through Ephesians a couple of years ago, and if you want a, a much deeper maybe um, exposition or even exegetical explanation of this part of Ephesians, I, I preached that same passage there, and I had a different outline. But you can find that on the website or on the podcast. That's there. Uh, for our purposes this morning, we're going to see what are the implications of what God has done and how we're supposed to live. The first thing we see in these first three verses is this, the natural pride of greatness. Okay, so the natural pride of greatness. Verse number one of Ephesians 2, and you, I'm not going to do this with the whole chapter, with these whole 10 verses, but just know that the you there, in the Greek it means all y'all. So he's saying all y'all, everybody. If you're rich, poor, black, white, young, old, doing well, doing poor, whatever that is, all y'all, he's writing to everybody in the church. If you can hear Paul writing, if you're in the sound of my voice right now, he's talking to you. He's talking to you, everybody, and you. Okay, we'll keep going. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Here's what we see. We naturally are prideful. You're like, man, what do you struggle with? Whatever you answer that question with, whatever your struggle is, the root of that thing is pride. We think that we have this greatness and it, it wells up in us and, and we think that we can do things on our own. We think that we can figure out life's purpose on our own. So we do that and we see here, it gets us to one spot. We're, we're disobedient. We follow the passions of the flesh. We, we follow the pleasures of this world. We follow the prince and the power of the, of the air. And we're like, man, what is the purpose of life? We still don't know. It's because we're dead. 
verses one through three, this, this pride, it reveals to us nothing else except that we are dead. We're dead in our trespasses and sin. We don't sin and therefore become sinners. We're sinners who sin. That's our nature. We are dead. We saw it two weeks ago in Romans chapter 12. I'm going to flip around a decent bit. I want to try to keep up here in my Bible, but I put some of these things on the screen. Romans 12, 3, we saw this. For by grace, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has ensigned. When we're filled with pride, we don't even understand our need for a supernatural empowerment. So some of us would be like, I, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not pursuing a supernatural empowerment the way that I should. I would venture to say that for most of us, we're so prideful, we don't even understand our need for supernatural empowerment. The first step is not, hey, let me, let me begin doing something spiritual. The first step is understanding that you, before a holy, perfect, righteous God, are a sinner who is dead in the trespasses and sin. Do not let the greatness of your pride stop you from understanding your status apart from God. So we see the greatness of pride in verses one through three. In verse number four, this beautiful turn of phrase right here, one of, the, one of my favorite passages in, in, in all of the Bible, especially in Ephesians, we see here the supernatural power of God in response to our natural pride of greatness. Verse four, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Notice his characteristics here. Verse five, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that, here's the purpose, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Notice here, all I want us to see here is the character of God. This is his supernatural power stepping in in the midst of our natural pride. Notice here, it says that God is loving. It says that he expresses his love when we deserve condemnation. It says that he's full of mercy when we deserve his judgment. It says that he offers life when without him we are dead. He is kind. We deserve his wrath. This is supernatural power, the supernatural power of God. Who initiates it? Verse number four, did we ask for it? Did we live good enough lives? Can a dead person do anything in and of themselves? No. Verse four, but God. So we see his power stepping in. But then we get to verse number eight. It says this, and we see here that we are products of grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that who can boast? I can't hear y'all. So that who can boast? No one. So that no one may boast. Can a dead person boast that they were brought back to life in and of their own power? No. You have to point to the person who gave you life. You say it's because of him. It's for his glory. But we are the products of his grace. But he uses several words right here. So we would define grace as this. It says right here in, in verse number eight, he's used this word several times. For by grace you have been saved. Grace is unmerited favor. 
You don't deserve it. And it's the favor of God because of his character. It's unmerited favor. It says, you have been saved through faith. And he uses that word several times. That word saved is, if you're an English nerd, it's in the perfect tense. And here's what that means. Perfect tense means it's an immediate action with enduring consequences. So you're saved today, whenever you were saved, whenever you repented of your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ and Christ alone, you are saved. Another translation of that word would be rescued. It's rescued. You've been saved. You've been rescued. But the, the consequences are enduring. They're never ending. It's not saved and then not saved or kind of saved or partially saved. It's fully saved and that salvation is never going to end. The saved never stops. It's perfect. It's infinite. You are saved, but he says, by what? You've been saved through faith. You've been saved through faith. That's trusting in Jesus Christ for forgiveness and for your eternal hope. Have you trusted? Have you repented of your sin? Or are you still dead and walking in death? Because verse number one, he says, this is the way that you walked. And so the way that we know if we're dead or not is we examine the way that we are walking. It's not, oh yeah, well, here's what I, here's what I did way back when. I said this prayer a few months ago, a few years ago. I got baptized. I give to the church. I go to church. I do, I do all these. No, no, no. What is your pattern of life? How are you walking? Because if you could earn God's favor, Jesus would not have needed to die. If you knew the purpose of your life, apart from God, you would not need Christ. But what does Paul say at the beginning of, of Galatians? He says, yet not I, but Christ. Verses one through three right here in Ephesians two, it says, but you were dead. Yet not I, but Christ. It's because of Christ's character that he steps in. And he says, I want to rescue you. I want to redeem you. I want to make you something new for my purposes. I'm the one who created you to look like that. Live for me. Then we find hope, satisfaction, ultimate joy. We understand our purpose in life. And some of us, we look back at salvation. We looked at, oh yeah, I was saved. And can I encourage you with this this morning, church? The grace that saved you is the same grace that will sustain you. The grace that saved you, I mean, I was so messed up and now I've been saved and now let me try to do it on my own. No, 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 no. The purposes of God or from that moment till you die are to live for him and his glory alone. So the grace that saved you, whenever you were saved, and I'm speaking now to those who have repented of their sin who are resting fully in Christ. And I would imagine there might be some in this room who have not done that. So I'm not talking to you for a minute. But the grace that saved you, if you are saved, is the grace that will sustain you. The same exact grace because it's the same exact God. And I would encourage you, if you have never placed your faith in Jesus Christ and him alone, that grace runs further than you can. His mercy goes deeper than any sin. His forgiveness reaches as far as you can go from him. And it's only because of that forgiveness and that grace and that mercy that you're ever going to repent and turn to him. But it's that grace that saves us. It's that grace that sustains us. Then we get to verse number 10. 
Here's what I want us to see, big picture. That here's the creator's plan and good works. Verse number 10. So we saw the, the natural pride of greatness. We saw the supernatural power of God. We saw that we are the products of grace. We see here, here's the creator's plan for good works. Verse number 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. It doesn't say we're created in Christ Jesus to look back at an experience we had years ago. It says, no, you're creating Christ Jesus for good works. This continual process, reflecting on the grace that is sustaining us through life, the good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, the good works that God prepared beforehand, what does he mean beforehand? Like before we, before we woke up this morning, before you were saved, before you were born, go back to chapter one with me. Look at chapter one and verse number three, right there in Ephesians. It says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with how many spiritual blessings? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. He chose us before the world was even here. So lest you think, hey, let me, let me see if I can earn God's favor by doing some good things. These good things are not of you. These good things, these good works were prepared before you were even thought of, before the world was even created. That's when God planned these good works. But, and chapter one talks about the theology of salvation. And here he gets to, okay, now here's, here's the outcome of this. Similar to Romans chapter 12, we saw it a minute ago. Paul spends the first 11 chapters of Romans talking about here's who God is and what he has done, laying this beautiful foundation of theology of God's work. And then in verse number 12 is this linchpin, and he begins talking about here's now how you live. Right now he's talking about here's how you live in response to that. Because faith must always produce obedience. If you say, well, I'm not just not being obedient, but I've got faith. That is not biblical. Obedience is not derived from anything except for faith. So if you're like, yeah, I don't know if I really believe God, but I'm going to try to keep working and earning his favor. That is not biblical. Your faith, though, must produce obedience. The reformer said, it was actually, it was first written down in Calvin's Institutes, but it's been attributed to different guys. Um, Augustine and, and Luther may have said it. But they said, it is faith alone that saves. But a faith that saves does not remain alone. It is faith alone that saves. But a faith that saves does not remain alone. Obedience must occur. It's a, it's a package deal. It's not, hey, let me just get saved uh, as fire insurance for something else. No. You're saved for good works which God prepared beforehand. The grace that saves is the grace that sustains. He says here in verse number 10, now remember he's kind of juxtaposing this with verse number one. You're walking, he says, good works which God prepared that we should walk in them. This walk is living according to the Holy Spirit's power. This is a pattern of life. It's not something you do for an hour or a week on a Sunday morning. Are you walking according to the power of the Spirit? Because here's what's going to be produced. Here's what that pattern of life is going to produce. Now, we, we talk about the Creator's plan and good works. The purpose of spiritual gifts, which are essential for our Christian life, we saw that. These are not optional. These are essential for us to 
obtain and understand God's purposes for our lives. They're going to produce three things. We're going to see right here in the, in the scripture. I'm going to flip around. You'll see these. But the first thing that we see this pattern, this walk of life is going to produce is for the sake of the common good of all God's people. It's for the spiritual gifts. God's, the creator's perfect plan is for the common good of all people. And if you look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says this in verses uh, four, 4 through 7, I believe. 1 Corinthians 12 says this. And we're going to be digging into these in the next couple of weeks if you're like, okay, give me some practical steps. Next week I will. Super practical steps on, uh, on your spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12 says this. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. The plan of the creator is for your gifts to serve the common good of God's people. We see it also in Ephesians chapter four. Uh, if you look at verse, uh, Ephesians four, we saw this last week. In verse 11, he said, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints, that's all of us, the saints, for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that, here's the purpose statement, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. So our walk in this pattern of good works is for the, for the common good of God's people. Secondly, it's for the evangelism of the lost. We can go over to 1 Peter chapter 2. He says this in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 12. He says, right before that, he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which, war, which wage war against your soul. But verse number 12 says this, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good... They don't, he doesn't say that they may see your church attendance. He doesn't say so that they can see when you uh, profess something of faith. He doesn't say that when you went to Bible college. He doesn't say when, when they see you, you memorizing books of the Bible. He doesn't say when they see your small group. He says when they see your good works, your good deeds, and glorify God on the day of visitation. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 5. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Now, we, we, often, we often think, okay, Jesus is the light of the world, right? Who does Jesus say is the light of the world? Does he say, I'm the light of the world? He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So if we are not being salty, we are useless, and I think for some of us this morning, you're like, man, I know I'm supposed to be obeying. I've got, I, I say I have faith, but I'm not obeying. You're just as good as being thrown out. If you are not salty in this society, in this culture, Jesus says that you are useless. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. Now, who's Jesus talking about right here? Himself. He's talking about us. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that, purpose statement, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. 
So our good works, our pattern of good works are for the common good of all God's people is for the evangelism of the lost. And we see here he transitions into is ultimately for the glory of God. Our good works, our exercising of the spiritual gifts are for the glory of God. Back to 1 Peter chapter four. He says this uh, in 1 Peter four, uh, in verses 10 and 11. He says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him, this is the purpose of us using our gifts. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Titus chapter two, it says this in verse number 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for how many people? For all people. Training us, talking about the church here, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope. Now notice all these passages point to Jesus coming back. Here's the day of visitation until Jesus Christ returns again, until we are with him in glory, until we are in the kingdom with him. And Paul does the same thing right here. He says, until the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us. Again, purpose statement, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his possession who are zealous for what? Not for accurate theology, not for greater leadership potential in a church, not for recognition by their peers, not to say, ah, oh, well, at least I'm not as bad as that guy who are zealous for good works. Your passion, that word right there, zealous. Another way of translating that would be passion. Your passion, whatever you're passionate about in life, it reveals your perceived purpose. So if, you were to, if I were to ask you, what, what are you most passionate about in life? After you said, oh, I guess Jesus. Once you were honest with me, if I asked your kids, if I asked your spouse, what is this person, what are you most passionate about in your life? The answer to that would be the same answer if I said, what do you think your purpose is in life? Your passion reveals your perceived purpose. You see, God didn't save you. Here's what we see in these passages. For the sake of the common good of his people, evangelism of the lost, for the glory of God. We often think, man, God saved me so that I could cuss less. God didn't save you so you could cuss less. God didn't save you so that your life would be better on this side of glory. God didn't just say, he didn't save you for some futuristic, hey, just to get out of hell for free. Salvation is not God sanitizing you and setting you on a shelf but it's him sending you into service for the sake of your sanctification. I'll say that again. God did not, salvation is not God sanitizing you and setting you on a, on a shelf, but it's sending you into service for the sake of your sanctification. The reason that we are saved is for the glory of God. The reason that he indwells us with his spirit. The reason that the, the grace that saves us, sustains us, is for the glory of God. It's for the sake of the body. It's for the evangelism of the lost. It's for the glory of God. None of those things point to me. My salvation does not point to me. My spiritual giftings do not point to me. 
It points to the glory of God filling to the ends of the earth. He doesn't say, okay, now you're saved. Okay, go over here and I'll be back soon to pick you up. He saves us to send us out so that we can be poured out, sanctified, which means to become holy, to become more like him so that people will see him, love him, understand him. The fifth thing that we see that I want us to see this morning is this is how the church is supposed to practice the gifts. So we see that we have this pride of greatness. We see the power of God stepping in, that we're the products of grace. We see the creator's plan for our good works. And I want to see, here's how the church is to practice these gifts. I'll put this Venn diagram up here for y'all. I love Venn diagrams because, um, yeah, they just tell so much. And I get to draw stuff. Uh, I thought about making this a list, but it's not. So again, if you're a note taker or just a doodler, you can write this down. But there are three areas that I think in our lives. So some of us are like, man, how do I identify the gifts? How do I identify the gifts in my life? How am I supposed, how am I wired and created by God to serve the common good of the people, evangelize the lost, and to glorify God most effectively? And I think it's right there at the middle of those three things. And each one of these circles answers a question. You can see the question right there beside it. But the first thing to consider about how the church is supposed to use these gifts is with ability. Now, ability answers the question, what are you good at? What are you good at? Now, we sent out a, a spiritual gift survey. If you haven't taken the spiritual gift survey, you can go to southpoint.org. It's right there on the homepage. You can take that. And we've had about 90 people take that already so far. That's a useful tool to understand, what am I good at? Some folks are like, I don't want to do it because it's not part of the Bible. Well, I guess just do what's in the Bible. <laughs> you know, what, like your life is going to look way different anyways. <laughs> you know, and that's going to be real fun to just watch how this week goes for you. Um, but it's a useful tool. I would also say that you can lie on there. If you're like, oh, well, I really want to have the gift of, of, of teaching, which is where most people are like, yeah, yeah, that means I get to stand on stage, right? Maybe, but um, may, may, probably not. Um, but where can I use this gift of teaching? I think that's what I have. You can answer the questions to, to, to end up with some result, but you're only fooling yourself and you're only hurting the body of Christ by doing that. I would also say, I think it'd be really useful for you to take that with a spouse or with a really good friend. I took, I've taken, you know, y'all probably have throughout the years taken these. I took this one a couple of years ago when I was in seminary. And I told Shannon the other day, she said, I think that'd be good for me to take for you. I said, man, that's awesome. Do it, take it. And so she's going to be doing it later this week. Uh, she's going to be taking it for me. And I want to see like a, a real honest answer of where am I gifted? But we have to understand what is your, first of all, ability. Secondly, the second circle there is affinity. And that answers the question, what are you passionate about? What stirs in your soul? When, when you are participating in some type of ministry, where do you feel just satisfied and fulfilled? Like, this is where I'm supposed to be. What is that affinity? When was the last time you considered the dreams that God has put on your heart prayerfully? When was the last time you sat and said, if I had a mission statement for my life, what would that mission statement be? If money was not a factor, what would your life look like for the kingdom of God? That's the one that always gets people. <laughs> Some of y'all are like, well, I got to go quit tomorrow. Um, I got to go sell my business. Maybe so. You laugh because you're not really going to do that. 
We laugh because we look at something and we're like, yeah, I'm really not, not going to know the purpose of my life, so I'm going to go back into work tomorrow like it's a nor- normal, regular day. But when was the last time you considered if money was not a factor, what would your life look like for the sake of the kingdom? Where in your soul is there a holy frustration or a holy angst about something in your life or the life of others or the life of this body or something in our culture or society around the earth? And you're just like, man, I've got an affinity for that. I have a passion for that. Consider those things. Maybe that's God wiring you a certain way to express your gifts. But the third circle there is affirmation. And that answers the question, where do people tell you that God uses you? So there's a positive and a negative. There's two sides of this coin. One part of that affirmation is people saying, yes, you you do an awesome job here. Do more of that. And affirmation, by the way, is maybe the most necessary circle on this Venn diagram. I know they're all equal because they have to be, uh, because that's scientific, I guess. But it's probably the most important of folks coming along saying, man, when you do that, that is awesome. Thank you so much. The flip side of that is when you do certain things, we have the body here to say, man, you say you're gifted in that, and maybe somebody told you that, but um, I don't think anybody's gifted to listen to you teach. <laughs> you know, it's just like, I don't know if that's the case. Um, you, you need to go do something else. Or, or maybe it's, man, I don't, you know, uh, you say you have uh, this gift of, of hospitality, but when we go to your house, like, it's, it's difficult, you know, it's really tough. I don't, I don't know if, if that's your gift or not. Like, we're here for this. Now, if you come to my house, my wife has the gift of, of hospitality. So if you ever walk in my house and think that for a second, you'll ne- I'm just kidding. Um, that's, but we're here for the sake of affirmation. Like, we're the body. Where do people tell you that God uses you? And if people can't look at your life and say, this is where God really uses you, then maybe you're not doing anything. So if it's like, oh, well, here, here's, here's an ideal. Maybe I can be used over here. Well, start doing it and see if people affirm you in that. And if you're not serving in any way, nobody's ever going to affirm you in anything. I texted a couple of folks. It was, it was two weeks ago. I was in McDonough preaching last Sunday. And a couple of weeks ago, I was, I was uh, here on a Sunday morning. And uh, afterwards, that night or the next day, I texted several people. And I said, man, thank you so much. Uh, I texted Luke. I said, bro, the way you interacted with that new couple, and there was another new lady who was here, I said, man, that was just, that was spot on. That's where you're supposed to be. I didn't have my sermon notes done for this sermon at that point. I wasn't thinking, hey, let me, let me create an illustration. I texted some other folks who were, who were back in the booth that day. I said, thank you all for serving a thankless job. Nobody ever sees what these folks do. Nobody understands how early the baristas have to get here on Sunday mornings to make us delicious, fresh coffee. Very few people understand, like, there's trash in the parking lot all the time. We're right here in the downtown of of a city area. And it's often that people are like, hey, let me pick up the trash around the building. I'm like, yeah, because people leave all kinds of places or drive by. You imagine the trash that's in your yard, and I live, I'm directionally challenged. I live a block that way. And people throw trash in my yard all the time, and I'm not in the middle of the city. There's tra- people don't recognize those things. So I would say it's, it's, there's two things. One, consider each one of these circles, your ability, what you have an affinity for, what you're passionate about, and where you are affirmed in your life. But secondly, look at the opportunity that's in front of you. So if you want to actually understand how to use these gifts, how the church is to use these gifts, I would say look at the opportunity that's in front of you. 
that may be your first step. And you're like, well, let me go through all the serve team lists. Let me look at all the things that are necessary in our life group. Let me look at the things that nobody's ever going to see. I just don't know if I'm any good at those. Well, you don't know unless you do them. Is there opportunity? Go to Galatians chapter 5. With me, if you look there, this will be on the screen. If you don't want to go there with me, that's fine too. Galatians chapter five and verse thirteen says this. I've got to find it. It says, "For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. But only if you're really passionate about it." Oh no, there's a period there. He doesn't say only if you feel really good about that, only if you have an affinity for it. He says, no, get out there and do it. Take hold of that opportunity. Look at what Jesus says uh, in John chapter 13. He says this. He says, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you unless you don't like feet. In that case, let someone else do it. Is that what he says? No. Is that the way we act? Yes. If you go back to Galatians chapter 6, he says this in verse number 10. So then, as we have what? Here's the key. So we can look at the Venn diagram. We can say, man, here's where I think these three things intersect. But this is also true. The Venn diagram is not in, Bible, in the Bible. You're not going to find in the back, you know, in the concordance or like the picture map. You're not, you're not going to see it there. But here's what Paul does say to the church in Galatians in chapter 6 and verse number 10. He says, so then, as we have opportunity, as we have opportunity, let us do good to whom? To everyone. Not to the people we like, to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith, for the common good of God's people, for the evangelism of the lost, ultimately for the glory of God, as we have opportunity. As I think about opportunity, I think about uh, folks in this room. I think there, there, are, there are folks in this room who, before coming to South Point, I think about like Jeremy Harvin. Like, he didn't come in and say, bro, you know what I want to do is I want to work with kids and I want to come up here and press a button so that people can see words on the screen faster. I think that I have a spiritual gift of pressing that arrow. I think I have a spiritual gift of getting somewhere three hours early just so that y'all can see what we're seeing together as a band. Jeremy didn't say that. Jeremy walked in and said, hey man, where can I serve? I said, what do you want to do? He said, uh, get up early. I said, okay, be here and press a button. And now he does a great job. And, and when I only schedule him once a month, he's like, man, why aren't you scheduling me more? I'm like, well, because you didn't bring me McDonald's last week when I did. So make sure you bring that to my schedule as much as you want. He'd rather be upstairs right now holding the babies than down here with us. Like he wants to serve. There are others in this, but I think about, I think about Ben Giovanetti. I was looking at him a second ago. Where is he? Oh, it's the same, same side. If you want, this is my good side, okay? Um, so I think about Ben. A couple years ago, I said, Ben, Bro, I need you to lead a life group down in uh, wherever you live, like uh, northern Florida or something, like Forsyth. Um, like, I need you to lead a, lead a life group down there. He said, I don't think you understand. I can't do that. I said, I don't think you understand. The Holy Spirit's real. He's like, all right, let me know when you want me to start. And so he starts. Shortly thereafter, he's like, I think we need to start a church in Jackson. I'm like, okay, for real. He's like, yeah, yeah, come, let's drive around and look at spots. That's not me saying, hey, I think you, hey, let me, okay, you just tell me what you want to do and I'll, I'll fit you in somewhere. No, it's him saying, man, the mission of God has to go forward and the Holy Spirit is real in my life. It's, it's Lane Austin looking at the windows saying, man, there are all kinds of critters that crawl in the windows. Here's an opportunity to serve the body. 
Let me come up here and replace these windows. And guess how much money he made on that project? Zero dollars and zero cents. Like he didn't make anything. It's for the good of the body. When he was growing up, did the spiritual gift test say, hey, I think replacing wood and, and caulking in stuff and making sure? No. As you have opportunity. I think about John Harmon. I could probably go around the room for, for days. You're like, oh man, what about me? You forgot about me. I'm sorry, I apologize. Uh, but John Harmon bought me lunch this past week. But I think about John and I think, man, that dude, if I need anything, if I need a shotgun to go hunting, uh, if I need a, 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 a hitch shelf for the back of my truck, if we're going camping or, or to the beach, I call John. If I, was in a, if, I was in a, if I was in a bad situation, I call John. If I just want to hang out and talk on the phone, I call John because he's here. He's available. Whenever there's an opportunity, he's there to serve. He's there to give. His family is here every single week. I know I'm going to see John. And he's one of my favorite people to talk to. As you have opportunity, and the opportunity is right in front of us, you don't have to be passionate about what you are doing, the specific task. You just have to be passionate about the one who has empowered you. It's a walk. It's a journey. It takes time. God's grace is sufficient. He doesn't call us to just hunker down, do that thing forever, and be faithful to that task. Christ calls us to be faithful to him. And in that faithfulness, we obey, no matter what it looks like. Your life probably isn't going to get better because of obedience. It's probably going to look more like Jesus's, who was put to death. It's going to look more like Paul's, who was put to death. It's going to look more like almost every single one of his disciples who they were put to death because of their faith. The faith is going to lead to obedience. I, I enjoy watching documentaries. Me and my wife do. And um, if you need any recommendations, we always have them. But I, I watched a couple of the past few weeks and they've been on art and uh, how there were fake paintings um, and there's this guy named Rothko. Maybe you've heard of a Rothko painting. He painted squares. And they were different colors, and so they were worth millions. I don't know. Some people like that stuff. And there was a, a, a guy like up in New York or somewhere, and he was painting squares that looked just like Rothko's. <laughs> but they weren't worth millions because Rothko wasn't painting them. I watched another documentary, I guess, two weeks ago. And uh, there was a there was a museum up in Boston or somewhere, and back in the early 90s, uh, all these paintings were stolen. There were about 10 paintings and a few other artifacts that were stolen out of this museum. And the one that was most valuable was this Rembrandt, and it was the only seascape that Rembrandt painted, and it was Jesus on the Sea of Galilee. And it was Jesus there in the boat, beautiful painting, but it was stolen. They still can't find it. But you know what they didn't do in that museum? They didn't go get a poster from Walmart that was the same size and put it in that gold frame and put it back on the wall and say, well, there you go. It's the same painting. It looks the exact same. You can see all of the same facial features and expressions on the disciples' faces. And Rembrandt painted himself into the painting. He's looking at the, at whoever's looking at the painting, like it's a really interesting thing. And they didn't just say, hey, here's a poster. It's basically the same thing. They didn't take those, those fake Rothkos and say, you know what, these also, because these squares are the same shape and the same size, these are also worth millions of dollars. No, because the value is in who painted them. The power is in the artist. The power is in the one who created those paintings. That's why 
Both paintings have a signature of Rothko at the bottom. One is real, one is authentic, and one is not. The one that is authentic points back to the creator. And that one's worth millions. We must go to the source and say, what is the purpose of my life? Where is the power? Our power, our authenticity comes from the one who created us. We don't look within. We must go to God's word and say, man, is this what you have created me for? If it is, this is the way that I'm going to live. This is the way that I'm going to obey. Your life should not be able to be defined naturally. It should only be defined supernaturally because of the spirit that is enabling you and empowering you. But here's the good news. Some of you are like, okay, what do I got to do? Give me that checklist. Here's what I got to do. I got to work harder. I got to try better. I got to show up earlier. I want to be like Jeremy. No, 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 no. I'm saying you need to be like Jesus. You're like, well, that sets the bar just a little higher than Jeremy. I'm saying, no, no, it's crazy high. But here's the beautiful thing. You can't turn to Jesus on your own and earn his favor because here's what Jesus Christ did. He said, in my authenticity, I'm going to come down and look just like you. I'm going to put on flesh and live the way that you were supposed to live. And I'm going to die the death that you deserve to die. Yet I'm going to be raised again to life by the same power, the same spirit that I'm going to send to you, my people, to empower you. And now he's sitting at the right hand of God. And what's he doing? He's working. He's making intercession for us. So we don't say, man, I want to be empowered by the Spirit. I want to use my gifts for good works. Let me try harder. No, no, no. You turn to Jesus. You repent of your self-righteousness. You fall upon his mercy, even anew today. In just a minute, we're going to partake in this meal that we call communion. It's a chance for us to repent of our laziness and our selfishness, but it's also a chance for us to rejoice in who Jesus Christ is and what he has done. And so if you've never repented of your sin, come talk to me right after the service. We've got a partner's meeting in a few minutes, but come talk to me. I would love to tell you more about who Jesus Christ is and what he has done. Repent, fall on him, rejoice. Rejoice.